0: This show is brought to you by Brain First Training Institute, ICF accredited coach certifications and applied neuroscience training. To become a brain-based coach, get certified in applied neuroscience, and stay up to date with what's happening in the world of applied neuroscience and coaching, join our Brain First community over at brainfirsttraininginstitute.com. Hey, it's Ramon, and welcome to Brain Coach Radio, where we hear from expert coaches, leaders, and trainers who are using applied neuroscience to help their clients get life-changing results. We discuss various coaching topics, neuroscience insights, business tips, and much more, all to help you succeed. Now, let's get into the episode. No interruptions. Enjoy, my friends. Welcome to the show. It's good to see you. Great to have you here.
1: Thank you. Uh,
0: I'd love to know, first of all, I think, how did you get into coaching and what you are currently doing?
1: Okay, that is quite a story. I've tell us, tell uh, us the journey. <laughs> can I tell you the story?
0: Tell us the whole story. Um,
1: well, I've never been one really for, for coaching and psychology and all these these uh, overall well being things. My training and my work has been in IT more specifically satellite communications. And I traveled in the US and I traveled in Africa uh, in my line of work. But in uh, 2013, and uh, this this event is very well documented globally, there was uh, a terrorist attack in Nairobi on uh, in one of the malls, the Westgate Mall attack. I think the, subsequently there was even a movie made about about this um, terrorist attack and i was there on that day i was uh, in westgate and i was uh, expectant with uh, my first child skylar rose and you know ramon to be honest i really struggled to to recover from that whole experience i kind of imploded I I looked into all sorts of uh, therapies and you know that is when I really got into uh, seeing psychotherapists and trauma therapists and psychologists and psychiatrists and all these uh, weird and wonderful things and I tried um, a lot of traditional interventions, EMDR, um, CBT, there's so many of them. And, and to be honest, to be brutally honest, they never really worked. I was three no. years after after Westgate, I was still not able to really go out. I was not able to return to work to just sit in a building without believing. That for sure today somebody will get me, you know. <laughs> Without, you know, I just became so fearful and paranoid and just believing that everyone out there is out to get me. Until I met um, now my 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 business partner Paul Boyle and learning his method of processing trauma. And it was really nothing short of, and many people say that uh, his method is truly miraculous because in the five days that I spent with him, I learned more about myself and how this experience and not just that experience, but also a series of other experiences affected me. And after this uh, workshop, And working with Paul, I was able to go back to work, but I no longer had job satisfaction. I was like, what did you do to me and how did you do it? And I want to learn how to do it. Should I go and study psychology? And he said, no, please, whatever you do, don't go and study. I spend a lot of time with those guys in the States to try and unlearn certain things but I started. I started doing coaching courses. I started doing short courses through Stanford, you know, because you do need to know some elements of psychology, and you do need to know some elements of of the body and the anatomy, and uh, because his approach is holistic, and that is actually how I found you, because there is a big part in in what happens in our brain when it comes to trauma. So mm-hmm. my work as a coach and I'm a, I'm a trauma processing coach is to help people in a non-invasive way, holistic way to understand what this trauma has done to them and how to process it. And that is, that is how I came uh, to, to know you because of neuroscience and it has really been a very enlightening course for me and I use I use um the 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 stuff that we've learned in class a lot in my work so that is how I became a coach yeah wow really
0: yeah so I think let's uh let's if we can just unpack this idea of taking a holistic approach because this is a it's a term that's thrown around a lot uh and i think a lot of people don't really fully understand what we mean by taking a holistic approach uh, approach and and um how impactful that can be so i'd love for you to share some of your ideas around this to to really um so we can all get on the same page
1: for sure um what our understanding and my understanding of an holistic approach is, is that in essence, we need to, to look at who we are as human beings. We are not just this body that we see. Um, You know, we are a three part being. We, we have a body, we have a mind, you know, and a lot of things go on in the mind and we have a spirit, we have a spiritual element. And here I don't want to confuse people with, uh, with religion because that is that is a whole uh, different um, thing altogether, but really our spirit being. And I think this is the one that is most neglected in all of that because people, people when they hear spirit, they think, oh, these are the ones that come with the Bibles or whatever. And yes, there's a time and a place for that, but there is a lot to understand about our spiritual beings and how, because we are neglecting it and we don't understand it, how it really affects our daily operation. So when we talk about holistic view, we look in depth, in detail, what happens in our body and our brain is part of our body, it's not our mind and, and I think there's also a lot of clarification on that. You know, what happens in our mind? What is our mind? For us, it is our will, our emotions, our thoughts. That is our mind. And then our spirit. What is our spirit? And on that, I also learned a lot of things from you, actually, about what is our spirit and how, how can we really define it? Because I think that is that is the crux of it all, is that spirit column.
0: What uh, what were some of the most impactful things for you when you were going through this journey for yourself? Uh, because uh I know one of the phrases you just said was, you know, when it came to Paul, what did you do? You know, kind of what went on here? Were you able to to unpack the process and kind of figure out the components and the parts and you know, the things that you were most impacted by? Like what, looking back on that period now and reflecting on how you went through that journey, what are some of the things that really stand out for you?
1: Right now, we are still unpacking that process and we are actually getting to the point where we are defining it in medical terms because we want to get this process recognised in in the world of psychology but if i go back to that time it is really a sneaky business and it 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 worked in the sense that there is no one really that can fix you from trauma from anything i cannot do it for you there is no medicine that can do it for you you have to do it yourself and in in this methodology that we follow, I think the most profound thing for me was when I met Paul, he really didn't want to know what happened to me. He didn't want to know what happened. Why are you in my workshop? Um, did you see them? You know, what type of guns did they have? Um, did you see? He was not interested in my story at all. And that was refreshing. And I think um, generally when we go to coaches or, you know, when we go to see psychologists or psychiatrists, the beginning point is is always, so tell me what happened, you know? And now from a neuroscience, applied neuroscience perspective, we understand what that question does. It brings everything back to life. And it's like, you are right there hiding under the table again, you know? And I think for a lot of my therapy, that is exactly what happened to me. I was stuck in the basement of the mall for three years because I could never get past the holistic effect. I could never get past what was happening in my body, what was happening in my brain in that moment of therapy. So removing the story created room for me to really now look at myself and to understand what is happening in me. And that is that is what he does. He, he teaches you, he shows you exactly what happens in your body, exactly what happens in your thoughts, exactly where you are getting stuck. And then we apply a lot of um, tools to now undo it. And then once you get those things released or you're able to uh, get over them, so to speak, you can go back to the story. Because if I tell the story now, my body is not going to react. (laughs) My my lazy brain is not going to say, oh, you better uh, fight or flight, you know, because they are just there outside the window. I'm able to take control of my body. I'm able to take control of my thoughts about these uh, issues, and I'm able to process it. So that was very, very profound for me um, in, in this process of healing. But now to translate that into medical terms is a whole... Other cattle or fish, but we're succeeding in it. And it's actually, you know, it is actually like, oh wow, there is actually scientific evidence that supports this type of a process.
0: Mm-hmm. So is that now where the, the neurological or neurobiological basis of things starts to fit into this whole equation?
1: Yes, definitely. You see, for us when we look um as For us, we look a lot at stress and the effects of stress and the origins of stress and then trauma. Now, stress, I think, is something that most coaches deal with because stress, according to what we believe, is, is a thinking problem. You know, we create stress and it can be positive or negative effects. We create stress because of how we think and what we think um and what we do with that thinking process so if our if our thinking is negative we create anxiety we are no longer able to to find solutions to see um to understand ourselves to to see what is the next steps um and that creates all the negative stress and the effects of negative stress but trauma is different Ramon, trauma is a memory problem, and I'm always asking you about memory. And I think it is definitely something we need to to explore moving forward. Trauma is a memory problem because our bodies, our brain, uh, our soul or, or our spirit is not made to deal with trauma. So what happens with that trauma memory, with that experience? our brain cannot process it. So it breaks it up into little pieces and it puts it wherever it can find a space, in your knee, in your back, in your digestive system. So, And and it lives, it continues living through our senses. So our work, my work as a trauma coach is to help people to process all these little packets of fragmented memory. And once it is processed, it gets released. However, in the brain, the hippocampus, it's shown that it actually shrinks and it shrinks because it is something that it cannot deal with, to put it very simplistic. I In, in, in class, I always tell the guys, you know, our hippocampus is our library. And when something happened that the librarian cannot deal with, she says, if that, I'm locking it up, I'm hiding. I, I didn't sign up to deal with this. There is no files. I, I don't know where to file it, you know? So she she packs ups and she gets on out. And it is interesting for, for me, an area of interest to see how can we, is it even possible to reverse the effects of this shrinking hippocampus because of trauma? Um, I'm not talking about more um. Uh, known diseases like Alzheimer's and things like that. Um, but specifically on trauma, is it possible to, to get some parts of, of a good operational functioning memory back? And mm. I think the answer to that is yes, if we look at a holistic approach through exercise and diet, what we do in our bodies. Um, but yeah, it is it is it is very, very interesting.
0: Uh, yeah, when you were talking before and first introduced the idea of uh, memory, it's um it's deeply encoded right in our nervous system. It's not just like, oh, you know the type of memory where uh, like i'm I'm going to recall what I had for lunch when we went out last week or even, you know, um, a, a birthday that I celebrated a few years ago. Like it's deeply encoded into parts of our nervous system that, it otherwise, that other memories otherwise wouldn't be as well. So like it, yes. it needs to be, as you say, treated quite differently. Uh, and then, of course, there's the relationship between that trauma and stress, and, and maybe you want to talk a little bit about that, and particularly when it comes to the holistic approach. And, of course, you know, when we haven't had a good night's sleep, we're jacked up on caffeine our levels of arousal arousal are going to go up, which of course that is going to impact how we are processing I mean everything in life but trauma as well I would imagine. so what um what what have you discovered about the relationship between trauma and just let's say you know everyday stress um, and and the forms that that come in?
1: if you in my opinion, if you are somebody that um is suffering from uh, unprocessed trauma. And the thing is, people are not even aware that they are. Mm. People are not even aware that they are. People live their lives thinking, oh, well, I am just naturally, for lack of a better word, an asshole. You know, so the rest of you guys suck it up. This is who I am. But is it really? You know, a lot of who we are today is as a result of Something that happened in your childhood, you know, and it can be something simple, like um, uh, when you were two years old, how your mom or dad spoke to you to eat your food and just all that drama around that, because I don't want to eat. I definitely don't want to eat the broccoli, you know, and that can cause even in a two-year-old, some sort of trauma responses or stress Mm -hmm. responses you know depending on 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 the severity and for each one of us how that how our perception of that severity is will be different right it will be different so people go around living their lives not even knowing that 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 is not supposed to be how you should live that is not supposed to be how you should behave or your attitude shouldn't just be like that because because you feel or you think this is who I am. No, there is things that have people operate in this fight-flight mode, and it has become normal. They have we, we have somehow normalized it. And this is and this is a very interesting area to to see how people live. A normal life, but it is a trauma life. So it is it is more difficult for, for those guys. People who do not have an uh, experience uh, of trauma, yes, they they are operational in like highly stressed, distressed modes, and it is somewhat easier to help them because it's easier for their brain to switch from a positive, from a negative to a positive effect. It's easier for them to imagine um, how things can possibly be three months from now. It's easier for them to, um, to just, to just uh, constructively work through, through their issues with a person who has a history of trauma. There's, like a double layer that you have to break through first. And we often know that because, and we pick it up, because sometimes people, when, it, when it is impossible for somebody to start imagining something different for themselves, it tells me that maybe there is something that is prohibiting them from doing that because a normal, healthy person should be able to imagine something a bit more easier. They should be able to develop new habits and stick to them easier than somebody who who is also fighting with these effects of trauma.
0: Mm, mm. And you see that with some, uh, you know, whether it's people we talk to, friends, acquaintances or or coaches, that even something quite simple like, you know, imagining a, a a. different a slightly different future for themselves and there's almost this very physical somatic response to it that's like i couldn't possibly it's like a huge barrier goes up and the you see it in the body and it's like like i couldn't possibly even think of anything other than you know the path that i've already thought of for myself or tomorrow or next week or something like that um yes and so I think that's that's one real indicator of like okay geez ooh, okay um, maybe that's too big a leap or maybe that's an it's, indicator yeah. that there's something going on here. Like what, yes. Um, I'm, I'm super curious to know actually what if you if you don't mind talking about this, uh, what are some of the things that people come to you for? Like what are some of the the trauma cases or what are some of the things that they're bringing to you? Uh, uh, are you able to talk about that?
1: Yes, I can. I can definitely share some some themes. Um, mm. A lot of people look for for us dealing with trauma. We look for symptoms. We look for today symptoms today that gives us an insight into what people are dealing with. A lot of people would come to me, um, and they have problems with addiction, for example. Um, and they don't know why now for me in the trauma world, for me, it says that is a coping mechanism. You are trying to cope with something that you don't, maybe not even know what, why, right? So a lot of, a lot of, um, clients come to me because of childhood trauma and childhood trauma can be a simple thought that, Oh, my parents were never there for me. They never came to my school events. Um, So that attachment, uh, feeling of abandonment. And so symptoms of trauma develop around that. I have to protect myself. And so they develop these changes in their behaviors, in their thinking that has to do with protection of, of the child. But now today they are an adult in their thirties or forties or fifties. And I can't stop drinking and I don't know why, but it goes back to that. So a lot of childhood, uh, um, trauma, a lot of sexual assault, um, as a company, we work in uh, war areas. So we do work a lot with communities that, 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 Live in war, that live through war, and then we also have more clear-cut. Um, I don't want to call it cases, but for example, when we work with police force or uh, you know uh, first responders, so to speak, um, these are people that we know without a doubt are exposed to vicarious trauma, secondary trauma on a daily basis, and we help them to to create. First of all, the awareness and how to, to um protect yourself from that, i.e., increase your resilience. So it is, it is not always I've been in a terrorist attack. Sometimes it is that, uh, just because of the part of the world we live in. But oftentimes it goes back to misunderstood. It could be a reality, a misunderstood reality or a a perception from when we were children and people start living in that self-protection mode throughout their adult life. And unfortunately we pick up negative coping mechanisms. Um, and our brain, as you know, constantly seeks that, um, it seeks that, uh, what is it called? Um Stimulants. It 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 seeks that stimulation, you know, to kind of numb, to numb all of it, you know. And it is not just drugs or alcohol. There's so many habits and coping mechanisms out there. Shopping, you know, how many of us we just shop? Isn't it so nice? (laughs) We shop.
0: Change our state, basically, (laughs) from the state that I'm currently in, which may make me more sensitive to reliving some things that I really don't want to relive so how can I change my state to something other than where I currently am
1: (laughs) oh yes exactly (laughs) playing games on your phone Hmm? and um, so and I mean if, if we look at just these negative coping mechanisms I mean what is that what are they if we were to really simplify it they are just distractions right they are Everything is just distracting us from from, um, taking us away from what we pay attention to. And as a result of what we pay attention to, what is our awareness level, right? And I believe these two, what we pay attention to, what is our awareness, these are the, the, the building blocks of our spirituality column. But we we are so focused on our distractions or our coping mechanisms that we don't have time even to, to know what do we pay attention to. When I ask somebody that question, it is like I'm speaking in a foreign language to them. They don't even sometimes understand what I mean, you know. Mm. And, I mean, I deal with cases of... Um, Uh, executives, in corporates, you know, where where the levels of stress is so high. And I think globally now there's a whole movement of burnout. There's a whole movement of people are burnt out. Why is that happening? In the U.S., we we read 20 million-plus people refuse to go back to the office. Why is that happening? Why is that happening? And I believe the answer lies with attention and awareness vis-a-vis all our distractions, our coping mechanisms, you know? And we also see it in the youth, our youth. The young people are giving up. Why must I do math? What is it going to help me? If, mm. I'm studying, if I'm studying IT, um, you know, I, I, I. For example, a case that I can share: uh, incredibly gifted young man. He doing two degrees simultaneously in uh, ICT, computer science, and um, and physics. So this tells me that this is not somebody that um, is intellectually challenged, right? But instead of the focus being completing my two degrees, we are spending time looking at uh, what possible jobs I can get. So he's spending a lot of time Googling uh, job adverts and he's like, but they all ask for two years work experience with, Um, I don't know, for purposes of conversation, let's say it is a $30,000 annual package. I can't work for that, but I don't even have the two-year work experience. I'm just going to give up. I'm just going to give up. I'm going to try and get a, a job somewhere so that I can get two years of work experience. So because we are so easily distracted by whatever, we are no longer aware of what we are paying attention to and people are giving up. People are giving up. We, this is, this is a, a, a incredibly talented uh, 20 odd year young man. But what about people that is nearing now um, retirement in, in big organizations like the UN? They are many. They want to give up. They want to give up. So, and these are things that 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 is as a result of our spiritual columns not being very well developed.
0: And it's funny, you know, attention and awareness have so much power to fundamentally change the way we experience life. And even if we if we even if we go to the mindfulness experiments even brief mindfulness experiments yes like just shifting the way that we use our attention for even i mean some of these experiments are done with 20 minute sessions as an example fundamentally shift how we experience life and how we experience our experiences so like absolutely critical to um develop some skills around these things right no matter what yes if we have skills in these areas, we are, um, you know, we can show up more in our relationships. We can, uh, you know, create the type of life that we have meaning, fulfilment from. We can even be Absolutely. more productive. That's what we want to do. Like it's yes. just, it just covers everything. Right? Yes. Because we're always paying attention to something, but if we can have more control over our attention, And then develop greater levels of awareness across the different levels of how we experience our experiences from everything that's going on in the outside world to, you know, um, taking information in through the senses to what's happening and going on in our body from moment to moment, which, I mean, so easily, we can be so easily distracted even from that, right? I mean, how many times up in an emotional experience and, and don't recognize when it's taking hold of our body and our behavior. Like so Yes. Are-
1: it, they, and that is exactly what they are. It is critical skills. It is life skills that we've all been born with, right? But because of our uh, negative experiences in life, we kind of put um, you know, when you when you see these old movies and they cover the the furniture with these big um sheets, you know? Mm-hmm. So I I look at it like every whether real or perceived experience we have, we cover another tool. We cover another aspect of of our level of awareness or what we're able to to pay attention to because we've been created to to live beautiful lives you know and life can be beautiful if you can find the beauty in a flower or even for for you in the beginning you said oh you know it's hot it's hot and it's rainy and that is just you know that is now classic example of our lazy brain because I so, believe our brain is lazy. Hmm? Oh, yeah. And and I oh. often tell people, like, you know what? Sometimes we just have to trick our brain. You have to trick your brain to avoid or to circumvent the the other feelings that will come in your body you know so you you, use the sorry that i use you as an example Uh, you should say oh 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 this humid rain is very good for the rain spiders you know that is awesome you know so you start thinking positive things even if you make them up i tell people even if you make it up um I hate rain. Maybe rain is a trigger for you. You know, something happened to you in the rain. So whenever it's raining, your mood drops, you need to drink, your depression Mm -hmm. goes out of control. So we start tricking our brain because our brain associates rain with something negative and it starts manifesting. So I tell people, the ducks need rain. The ducks love rain. Hmm? Let us be happy for the ducks. Can we be happy for the dogs? So just, just make those small changes, even if you have to lie to yourself in that moment. But
0: no, I'm glad you brought it up because I, and it, uh, I'm certainly not immune to it. None of us are. Um, but us. Uh, Like for example, uh, and one of the things I think is important is to give people tools to be able to. First of all, catch themselves, and sometimes, sometimes we don't, uh, and reflect on our experiences and the language that we use, and all these sorts of things. Uh, one of the things that I'll do, and actually, this might even be something that I journal about tonight, in the morning and at night. Um, in the morning, there's a gratitude component that I write about things that I'm appreciative for, uh, and how to set up the day so I prime my day in a certain way, and then at the end of the day, I look back on the day uh, and. Again, appreciate some of the things that have happened or some of the things that I might have learned or how I might improve on today when I connect with tomorrow or wake up tomorrow. So these are, these are, this is basically twice a day. And I don't get to do it every day. You know, sometimes life gets in the way, but when I get the chance, these are two occasions in a day where I get a chance to actually look at what's going on and step back and go, Oh, actually, when I made that comment on the on the podcast, I was like, "What was going on there?" And then, okay, <laughs> well, I improve on that. So, I think it's great that you brought this up. What are what are some of the things that that you do or that you suggest that your clients can do to help them generate awareness around perhaps the language that they're using, the things that they're saying, and then. To reframe things in a more positive way, or, or or in a way that's going to be more beneficial to them in, in their lives and the things that are important to them.
1: Oh goodness, um, what what can I tell them to do? You know, I think first and foremost, for for any of us to even get to the point where we where we have an awareness of these things is is we need to understand the power of choice. So the the power of our choice is very important. And I think if you actively start making a choice that I want to live a better life, that is the first key to, to now develop your awareness and start um, paying attention to what you're paying attention to. And i think I think it's wonderful that you have this system of making time for yourself to to prime and to reflect and to plan. Um, I think ninety percent of the planet does not do that. And that and that is it is also an element of, if I can use the word self-discipline and acceptance, there's only twenty four hours in a day, right? And for us to function optimally, I do this exercise where we, we divide the 24 hours into eight-hour components. You know, so work, you know, there must be work time, there must be play time and sleep time. So where are you starting to compromise? Where where are your limits? Where are your self-discipline limits? You know, all of all of them, in my experience, the sleep column is just isn't tatters. You know, you get these executives that, oh, but I only need three hours of sleep and I'm a highly functional individual and, uh, uh-huh, and how's your personal life? <laughs> oh, no, <laughs> I'm on my third marriage, you know, and what, what. So we start compromising, you know, and to really effectively manage your awareness, if I can can call it that, you need to start getting very strict with yourself on how much you work and how you work and when you work, how much you play because it's very important and are you playing positively or negatively and how much you sleep. Because without that, everything goes to shit, to be honest. Yeah. And, and that's the one we we do the least, you know? gratitude such a beautiful thing and it is so underestimated you know when you tell people gratitude they are so negative in their life already it is impossible for them to see anything to be grateful for and and it is it is sad you know because And it goes back to the distractions. You know, we think all these things that we are focusing on, the distractions, is what what makes the sum of our life. But it's not. You know, these things that always comes on Facebook, then it shows you here is the sun, here is the earth, here is the galaxy, the Milky Way, here is the whatever. And then they show a small little dot where you are on earth, you know? Mm guys, there must be a bigger picture in all of this, you know? So how is my lack of shopping money or my lack of a Mercedes car or my lack of, you know, we focus so much on the lack, on the lack, on the lack. And that is the that is what's being reinforced in our lives. And it makes it so hard to be grateful for, for the hot rain, because even the plants need something, you know, and, Whatever it's cleaning or whatever you, however you want to think about it. Right. So it makes gratitude very difficult. It makes self-care almost impossible because if I go for a manicure, I mean, what good is that going to do for me? You know, I need to, I need to work. I need to, you know, and so it is, it is very interesting how all these things Connect and how what we pay attention to is actually just bullshit. Let's, I mean, let's be honest, right? Like, how is it really a life or death situation? And the answer is no. But oh, yet we yeah.
0: give- <laughs> Half of these distractions, probably 90%, like 99% of them, at the end of our life, if we're lucky enough. Now I say like ages, ages for the, uh, the fortunate, we should all be so lucky to live 60, 70, 80, 90, hundred years of age. Right. And if we are, if we are extremely lucky, we'll have an opportunity to look back on our life when we're right towards the end. Like, Most of the stuff that we are distracted by on a daily basis, we're never going to look back and go, "Oh, I'm so glad I played that third game of Candy Crush," or, you know, "I'm so I'm so happy that I made that that purchase for that t-shirt back in, you know, 2004." Like, (laughs) just like, not going to make. No one's going to look back on their life and think, "Oh, yes," (laughs) you know, amazing times. Yes, yes, and that is, you know, and that
1: is that is what makes us human Ramon, you know, that is what, and I think, I think we forgot what makes us human, you know? So this is, this is how I look at things like life is beautiful. Life is meant to be beautiful, regardless of what happens to you. What happens to you is not a reflection of who you are or who you can be or who, you know, here in, in uh, Kenya and in Africa, we work with, um, with children from really, really um terrible backgrounds, you know, street children, if it is possible for that child hmm, that really has nothing, it is this child has nothing, no parents, no um, inheritance from somewhere, nothing. if a child like that that survives first of all, in its body on the streets, and and you can only imagine what they must survive. If a child like that can make it to university in the U.S., what about the rest of us? And that is the power of positive thought. That is the power of choice, of hope, of of belief and faith that I must be more than, than my lack. Mm. or my or my distractions so i'm sorry I'm, if i'm sounding a bit philosophical but Love it. <laughs> the <laughs> the neuroscience of it backs it up you know
0: what's uh, what this, what are some of your favorite uh strategies approaches topics uh in neuroscience
1: oh um I I think one of my favorites is the intuitive brain. I really like that one. You know, that is that is awesome for me. Um, wow. I mean, they are all mindfulness, health. A lot of it goes onto, onto our health, you know. And personally, that is the one that I'm I'm the worst at, to be honest you know, how many times I tell people, oh, we have to exercise, but then do I myself do it? I imagine, (laughs) I imagine myself doing it. I know all the benefits of it, but it's like telling me to go to the dentist for a root canal and there's not going to be any pain medication, you know? (laughs) So we are, and, and that is, I love how you said it. You know, we all, we all have something all of us are struggling with something we are not we're perfect we are all work in progress we're all work in progress but then the beauty of it is we're all in it together and we don't get that we think it's everybody is just isolated and we have our own little struggles but we're part of a collective you know we're part of this universe we are hanging somewhere in this sky spinning around i don't know So there's got to be something more out there. You know, there's got to be something bigger than just little me that can't exercise and everything is negative and I'm never going to get a job and I don't need to finish my school. I don't even have to go to school and, you know, all those thoughts.
0: My parents have both recently got themselves Apple Watches and uh, whenever I go around there, and Siri tells them, you know, you've been sitting down for too long. You must stand up or you must, you know, get a little bit more exercise. So I'll be sitting down and having a discussion and they'll get a little notification and they'll stand up and pace around the room, walk around the room, walk around the table. Oh, no, I've got to get my, you know, Siri's told me to stand up and move my body and work. But, but you know, if it, if it works, like if that's the the trigger for them to, to get some movement every day and they do that 10, 12 times a day, over the next few weeks and months and years, it's going to have a really positive impact. So
1: it will, you know. So sometimes it's not just the case in point, not just our brains that we need to trick. We need to trick our our bodies as well, you know. And if the if if it means I need to get an Apple Watch to do it, then I need to get an Apple Watch to do it. You know, sometimes we need, we sometimes our self-discipline is not my self-discipline in, in sleep, for example, I would say I do not compromise on that, you know? Okay. Yes. There, 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 are, there are times that you, you need to get stuff done and exciting stuff. But once that wave has passed, it has passed, you know? So I think each one of us has stronger self-wills or self-disciplines and in, in different things i think yours is like highly developed in exercise right uh, <laughs> i remember from class you were very much into exercise
0: yeah ex- exercise sleep um but well actually this is this is interesting have you always slept have you always been a good sleeper though
1: Through periods of my life, yes. The times when I really suffered from a lot of nightmares and things like that. No. If I was to ask my mom, she would say, as a baby, I was the worst sleeper ever. Mm. I never used to sleep as a baby. But but now I do value my sleep. And I do know if I've if I've not slept enough, I'm very aware that I feel off. I've got brain fog. I Everything is just bad. And I see it in the kids as well, you know. Kids need to sleep for, for X number of hours. Mm-hmm. It's not six. I can give you that much. They need to sleep for a lot more. And then a lot of uh, times when parents bring their, their kids to me thinking that, Something bad must have happened to them. Somebody must have done something to them because these behaviors are just, I mean, I'm talking children under 10 years old. And then the solution or there's there's no trauma that has happened to your child and and everything in our life is not trauma, right? That is also the flip Mm -hmm. side of the coin. Not everything is trauma. It comes down to dear parents, Your child is not supposed to stay up with you until midnight. Your child is supposed to sleep for 11 (laughs) hours. Can we try that for a week? And then they all turn out to be angels, you know, at the end of the week. So it is so important to know, yeah, you know, something simple as the answer is sleep.
0: Yeah, the study's coming out recently about the impact of particularly screens, not just at night, but, you know, spending excessive screen time throughout the day for kids is just, you only take—I need to take one look at it and just go, why are we shoving screens in front of these kids' faces? I mean, it makes sense yes. anyway, but now with what the literature suggests and you're like, that's just a terrible idea. Like, this is going to yes. lead to really bad outcomes. And And I wouldn't be surprised if you know, another 10 or 20 years from now, we find out that they are, you know, screen times contributing a lot to uh, addictions, relationship issues, um, having difficulty holding down jobs. Uh, of course we know it's going to, it impacts things like attention span and the ability to focus and all these sorts of things. Um, whether these are a consequence of disrupted circadian processes, or they have more direct effects um, because of the way that we're interacting with the the apps and the content and things that are, you know, designed to extract maximum pleasure and hit the dopaminergic system and all the rest of it We're probably not yet fully understood. But, um, yeah, disastrous. Like, the consequences are disastrous. Kids need to be kept away from screens until their brains are fully developed. Not completely, but certainly limited
1: limited and i think you are so right to say that the studies will come that will prove that i mean just yesterday i read um uh, this research on uh, it is a lady in the u.s i believe all she did is she goes to the parks where the parents take the kids to play or the nannies or whatever and the parents are on devices so this is an observation of the. So the parents are, are on devices. Then she went and she studied um, in her in her group of observations the number of uh, language problems that these kids have because the parents are not communicating with them. So mm. they are so they are so behind in um, linguistic um, basic stuff. To speak, just to make a sentence together, because the parent just says "come, come, yep. stop." So, so wow. they have no way of communicating, you know. And if we take away just something simple as how we communicate at a young age, if we don't understand the basis of language, how are we going to even begin to understand emotional behaviors or? You know, so so it was a very interesting thing that she's writing that, guys, you know, something is wrong with these smartphones, you know. Look at what is happening with the kids. They can't even string a sentence together, you know. Um. And so it is something simple like that, something simple like that. And it, yeah. and that has now nothing to do with trauma, you know. But then the parents take the kids to the the counselors. Oh, my child does not speak. Something bad must happen. And but you see now that's this whole vicious cycle of taking the kids at the four. Oh, they've got delayed uh, speech, so it means that uh, we need to put them on these type of the uh, tablets or. Uh, or the kids because they are frustrated because mommy or daddy or my caregiver is not, you know, so frustration um, comes out in hyperactivity and, oh, oh, it must be the HDHD. Let's give them these tablets, you know, and it's got nothing to do with that. It's got to do with the bloody attention of the parents, what they are paying attention to. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So, so it is, the uh, yeah not everything is trauma not everything is the big bad monster but it is about attention i think
0: mm-hmm. what um being mindful of time here what what are your okay. what are your final thoughts around the future of this field trauma and, and trauma processing
1: I think it is an exciting time. i think I think if um, if 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 only even as an organization, we succeed in creating awareness about how we are living and how we should be living, just the difference in that and and we do that in a fun way, not in a here's the tissue box and you know if if we bring the awareness back into what it means to be be human i think then that that is awesome you know all the coaches out there i think all of us globally whether you're a coach or a therapist you know if you can help somebody just to and and i mean you say it always in class what's the smallest possible step you can do or you can take to just become a better you you know let's forget about trying to change the world or anybody out there but what is the smallest possible step you can take just to to learn about yourself who you are why are you the way you are is that supposed to be who you are What's the small, smallest possible step just to to ask yourself that question? And I think if 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 every human being on the planet can just honestly ask themselves that, the world will already be a better place or become a better place.
0: Beautifully said. Where's the where's the, the people? Um, best place for people to connect with you online.
1: Online, yes, online. Our website, org um, A-L-B-A-I-N institute.org. And uh, we also have a, a Facebook page. Uh, get in touch. You know, it is all about sharing uh, our experiences.
0: Love it. Thank you very much for being on the show. Uh, for-
1: thank you. Thank mm-hmm. you, Ramon, for remembering me.
0: That's it for this episode. If you want to support the show, make sure to subscribe, leave a five-star review, and then head over to brainfirsttraininginstitute.com to join our community of coaches. And for resources and products to help you upgrade your brain in life, including interviews with leading neuroscientists and health and high-performance experts, go to mybrainfirst.com. Thanks for tuning in. Talk to you soon.